0: We're continuing our series in Romans this evening, and in a second I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9. That's Romans 12, verse 9, and you can find that on page 1139 of the Pew Bible, or of course in your journals if you've got them with you. Just before we get into the text, I want to make a couple of comments uh, just on where we are in Romans. So, we know from, from all we've said this year that the Paul is writing to a divided church, to to show them how that the one gospel makes them the one people of God. And in chapters 1 to 11, he, he talks about how they are united in their need for salvation, that left to themselves, they are condemned under the law, but that God is revealing his righteousness by keeping his promises and saving those whom he has chosen. So, we've seen how the gospel reveals God's righteousness in relation to the the human heart in chapters 1 to 4, and the cosmos in in 5 to 8, and in the nation of Israel in 9 to 11. And through all that, we've seen that it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved and not according to any work or merit of our own. So, notice that Paul spends 11 chapters showing us the the indicative, that's that's what God has done for us. So we can understand that the basis of the gospel is not in what we do, but what He has done. But now in chapter 12, Paul turns to the imperative, what we are to do in response to this gospel. And here we see God's righteousness being revealed in the new covenant community. And now at the start of chapter 12 that Terry brought to us last week, or the week before, sorry, it gives us the, the, the big statement for what is to follow. So if you have your journals there, make sure to, to box off in, in verse 1, I'm not going to read this part, but, but ver, box off there where it says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, okay? That, that's the big statement for what's going to come next in the next couple of chapters. So what is the appropriate response to God's amazing gift of grace? It's to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, okay? And we know that because in verse 2, what you can see is an actual reversal of the downward spiral that we had all the way back in Romans 1. So in Romans 1, where we we see in verses 18 to 27, there's this chain of of their minds suppressing the truth— so God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, meaning that they worshipped and served creatures or idols rather than the Creator. And for this reason, God gave them over to their dishonorable passions, what we talked about as, as how they used their bodies for sin. But, but notice in verse 2, we see here the spiral reversed. Our bodies are presented, which is proper worship, not letting our hearts be conformed to this world, but by seeing the renewal of our mind. So make a note there, the Christian life, this response to the gospel is the reversal of this downward pattern of sin as we live in step with what God has for us. What we get after our reading, in our reading, sorry, is the answer to the question that we should all have. If offering our bodies as a living sacrifice is the appropriate response to God's saving work, How do we do that? Let's read God's word together. Romans 12, starting at verse 9, says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And may God bless the reading of his word. Let's just pray before we start this. Lord, Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds now, that you would speak to us through your word, that we would understand these truths so that we might walk with you, Lord, speak through your servant. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that we need to understand here is that Paul is giving us different answers of how do we respond to, uh, in the offering our bodies as sacrifices in different spheres, okay? So if you can, draw a box around verses 3 to 13. Okay? That section is talking about how we respond, how we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, in the context of the church, okay? So everything there is talking about how we act to one another in the body of believers. And then in in verses 14 to 21, Paul moves on from the classic one another language, and we get references to those who persecute you, to people who may be doing evil, and to the possibility of God's wrath. So that's a bit of a clue. This isn't talking about the church anymore. This seems to be more talking about our immediate context outside of the church. So box off verses 14 to 21 as how we respond in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, the the general world around us. And then next time we're in Romans, Noble is going to be showing us how this relates to another step out from that, how we offer our bodies as living sacrifices in the context of, of the wider world. Paul's thought here is how we do it in the church, how we do it in our neighborhoods, and how we do it in reference to governments in chapter 13. And to frame this all, to frame our thinking, I'm just going to assume for now that you actually want to do this, that, that you're on board with what Paul has said. You're not thinking about earning your faith or, or being deserving or, or of what you've already been given but rather you're looking for ways in your life in which you can joyously respond to the gospel, that you want to see God's righteousness played out in community here. Okay, so the question in our minds is not what must I do in a begrudging, legalistic kind of way, but what can I do in a way that that overflows from a sense of wanting to respond to this amazing gift that we have been given. That is how we need to hear Paul. So, so make note of that because it's going to be so easy for us to, to slip into guilt at what we aren't doing or, or think of these things and these suggestions as, as burdensome. We're going to start then in verse 9 thinking about what a response to the gospel, this, this offering of ourselves as, as living sacrifices means within the context of the church. Now, the first thing that we should note in this section from 9 to 13 is that, that this list doesn't appear to be an, an exhaustive one. Rather, it's it's given us some good principles for what offering ourselves might look like. And notice that the parts of this focus upon our hearts, so talk about what we love, on our minds, what, what, what we think, our worship, that's who we serve, and, and then what we do, that's our bodies again. And, and that's just to say that there are many ways to respond to what God has done that bring us into step with Him. So, so let's look at a few of them. Verse 9, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So here's a way to offer our minds to God, conforming to His standards. You might have noticed that the, the cultural air that we breathe teaches us that that loving something should place no burdens upon us, that that any kind of self-denial is not love, but it's manipulation or abuse. This idea of of, of setting aside any kind of privilege for for the benefit of another is is seen as being about hierarchies of of power. All relationships in the modern world have to conform to our own presuppositions to, to fit in with our life goals, to be about our fulfillment. Even in, in progressive so-called Christianity, there, there are people who lay aside the Bible because it doesn't conform to their worldview. So they twist it, and they change it. And look, we've, we've all read the difficult parts. I remember the, the enormous weight of responsibility when, when I was getting married and read that I had to love Jenny as Christ loved the church or when we read that we need to love our enemies that's that's a tough one or we need to value those little humans in the womb or or, or give to those in need or, or suffer for the sake of the gospel there's so many places it would be easier just to just to tweak it a little bit but then we hear the words of Jesus if you love me you will keep my commandments Or in 1 John, where it says, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. Loving God requires us to conform to his way of thinking because part of receiving the gospel is accepting that we aren't God, that God is God. And so when, a time, when there comes a time when we face a, a controversy, so for example, we, we might socially be inclined in our hearts to be for abortion. But we may know that that is just so counter to God's heart that, that what we're going to have to do then is to work hard to pray, not my will but yours be done. We work hard at understanding why God says that, not, not so that we can have behavioral change and, and keep to a certain standard, but so that we can love that standard, that we can rejoice in God's good will, And we do that in the sphere of the church by valuing the things of God and hating evil. So, for example, we, we should genuinely hate spiritual abuse. We shouldn't even countenance covering up the failings of our, of our leaders because we don't want to cause division. The church has seen enough of that. And I will say that for me. If you see me in a clear and obvious sin, you need to confront me. You need to value the things of God and hate the things that he hates. That also means valuing things in, in their proper place and order. Being passionate about the word and holding on to the emphasis of, the, of Bible teaching, loving the opportunity to sing, even if the style of song isn't to our own personal preference. Understanding that what we do here, the mission of the church, is determined by God and not what we would like it to be. So if you need to conform your mind, don't be lazy in your study. Get into the confession. Yes, I said it. The confession's great. Go read the confession. Read some catechisms. Read good books. Discuss controversial topics with people. Learn to love the standard. In the new covenant community, God's righteousness is revealed in how we follow his ways and not the culture's. So we can offer our minds to God, but But our verse doesn't stop there on that on that cerebral level. Verse eleven: Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. One of the things that the gospel does is to produce a heart for the things of God. It creates in us a a worshipful worshipful response to what God has done. Now we sometimes think that serving as as an obligation a burden that we bear because we, we want the overall work to continue. But that's not what this verse is saying is an appropriate response. Now, obedience is, is, is so important and has its place, but, but here what is being emphasized is our desire to serve, our zeal, our fervor. We are to guard our spiritual fervor, to, to cultivate our joy in the things of the Lord. Now, it might sound strange about having a a duty to maintain a a feeling. But like in any relationship, it comes down to what are we investing in it? What do you need to do to stay in the joy of the Lord? Maybe it is Bible study, but, but maybe it's long walks in creation. Whatever it is for you, then do it. Enjoy God. And don't feel guilty about that. We are so strange here in Northern Ireland for for many reasons, but one of them is because we think that if we enjoy something, then it can't really be worthwhile, that we need to, to suffer in order for something to be meaningful. But really what we read here is that an appropriate response to the gospel is to love God and to keep that love burning strong. So after the service and the tea and coffee, why not chat about what helps you rejoice in the Lord and what you need to do to reorientate your life to make that happen? And then think what you can do to bring that joy into community. So think of an image of, of coals. We've all heard this, right? When, when they're together, they, they keep the heat, they keep burning, and it's only when you, when you put one out of the fire that it cools down. But then you put it back in, and it starts burning right away again. That's like us in the church. God has designed the church here to be a place where we feed off one another, where one's person, one person's passion inspires another. What better way to respond in thanks to God than to build up and adorn his bride? Of all the incredible things that, we do, that happen here in Hamilton Road, It seems that one thing that we could do more is to cultivate deep personal relationships, to go out of our way to to disciple and to be discipled. So, if you're mature and and know God's goodness in your life, look around. Who could you get alongside here? We put on a, a good face, but there are people here that need spiritual input. So do you notice the the newly married or or the older people going through some life change? They need people speaking into their lives. What about new parents? And and I'll highlight especially new dads. Our culture gives us zero help, zero preparation for what it means to lead a household. And and I'll hold up my hand and say that, that I struggled for the first couple of years. I am just thinking how I would have loved an older godly guy to just come alongside me and and give me some direction. Could you do that to some of the families that we have here? Or maybe you need to be the one to to ask for that kind of relationship. Do it, please. It's awkward and it's strange. so, So just, here's the line, just memorize it and say it later. I've noticed your faith in your life. Could we maybe meet sometime for a coffee? I'd love to learn more. And that in itself, taking that step, is a great response to the gospel in your life. Look at verse 10. Isn't that just humility? Honor someone by asking for discipleship. The gospel should lead us to enjoy him and and encourage others to enjoy him, to have our community marked by a joy of the Lord. In the New Covenant community, God's righteousness is revealed in how we enjoy His presence with us. But again, the response doesn't just sit in the realm of the mind or the heart. Verse 13 brings this into the practical way as well, saying, share with the Lord's people who are in need. So I want you to notice, whilst we want to be moved to compassion and generosity generosity to all people, And opening up your home is is a great and wise evangelistic practice. We need to remember here the context is for the church. We are to share with the Lord's people. That was what Paul did with the offering in Jerusalem. The church provided for fellow believers because we have a special responsibility towards each other. Whether we are in Bangor or Baghdad. And rather than a legalistic thing, this is more about seeing Christ in others and responding to that. When we see each other as sons and daughters of God, we should respond to them with that status in mind. So so I knew of a a minister who tragically died suddenly, and and at his funeral, I know so many people were saying to the family that, that, look, we'll supply whatever need that you would have. And because of the love and the respect for the father, the the community were willing to do whatever they could for those children. And I'm sure in the moment there was a lot of compassion there, but but I'm also sure that if years pass and those kids come and, and present any kind of need, the community are going to respond primarily out of the respect that they had for the father. And that's sort of what we are thinking about here. Sharing with the Lord's people because we see in each other the marks of what God has done. So we aren't thinking about an obligation based on some kind of contract, but, but a joyous giving because of what, is, what God has done in their lives and that mirrors what he's done in our lives. And for us in the church, this could, it might look like, like a sharing of, of experience or expertise. I only found out last week that one of our young people had a Spanish conversation exam, and I was just really gutted because I felt I could have I could have helped him with that. Another person I know of lent his car to another brother when, when he needed it, when, when he had needed work done to his one. Whether it's time, talents, material, wealth, being a church member means that we've agreed to share with one another. So when you look about the congregation, see your family's need as an opportunity for you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Let our response be conforming our minds to God's ways, loving what He loves, so that our hearts are led to worship and we use our bodies for His purposes. One quick word of warning, remember back to verse 6, we are all going to respond differently. This isn't a a prescribed list. it is each of us seeing what God has done in our lives and offering whatever true and proper worship we can in accordance with our gifts. Remember, love must be sincere. So don't confuse suggested responses for required burdens. Look first to God and then see how you can respond to Him in, in the church. Because it is this joyful serving and giving as a response to what God has done that reveals God's righteousness, both to us and to a watching world. That is our first sphere where we can respond and where we can give thanks to God and let that overflow into our lives. The next place that Paul talks about is in our neighborhoods. So look with me at verse 14. And hopefully, you can pick up on that that change of tone. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is not language that Paul uses for the body of believers. And even if you have to to listen to me singing beside you someday, and and you're tempted to curse me, that's not what Paul is talking about. So what we are thinking about here is, is how to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God in the context of other of of, sorry of of non-believers or unbelievers so we're thinking about what we do in our neighborhoods or workplaces and again you can note that this advice seems to to fall into those categories of mind heart worship and bodies so verse 14 sees how we think about others rather than being moved to to curse them we decide in our minds to bless them Verse 15 shows how our hearts are moved to rejoice with them and to weep with them, not remain aloof and detached in our holy huddles, but actually be moved by their circumstances. Verses 16 to 18 talk about how to live with people. That's kind of like our bodies, right? And verse 19 onwards talks about how we view God in that. So our worship... We we don't have time to unpack all these. I just want to pick out a couple of points. Firstly, let's note the, the general disposition that we are to have if we are responding to the gospel in our lives. When we rebelled against God and cursed Him, He did not curse us, but blessed us. He condescended to us, associating with people of low position. He did not repay evil with evil, even though we deserved it. He overcame evil with good. And so when we internalize that, conforming our minds to think about that and our hearts to love that and our lives to reflect that, and then we come into contact with unbelievers, then that is what we are going to image to them. Not so that they can see Christ in us, although that might happen, but simply because we are trying to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and doing this Doing that in this context means conforming to a gospel way of living. To think about this primarily as an act of worship, not evangelism. And and now if that leads to someone coming to faith, then then rejoice with every fiber of your being. But don't think that if your neighbor doesn't come to faith, it's because you weren't sufficiently like Jesus. Jesus brothers and sisters, that's that's too great a burden to bear. Rather, our response here in the general disposition is to act like Christ did towards outsiders in as as far as we are able because we want to be more like Christ. (coughs) Now, for how that might look specifically, let's look at verse 16. Here we are told to, to live in harmony. And then we get the explanation that don't be proud, which means that we will associate with people of low position. And that is just intensified with this call to, to not be conceited or be, not be wise in your own sight, as, as some translators render it. So living in harmony does not mean what this culture tells us to do. Just be quiet and have a private faith in case we offend anyone. What Paul means is that living out your faith in in coming into contact with unbelievers and not just conforming to their standards, we should do so in a way that that does not raise ourselves up in our own estimation, but in a way that we do it with humility. Here's an old line that's so helpful for me. I, I am just a beggar showing another beggar where there is bread. We didn't come to Christ because of our good decisions. So we shouldn't look at our unbelieving neighbor like they should just wise up. That attitude, can you see that that attitude gives glory to us? We did it right. We made the right choice. Instead, offering ourselves as living sacrifices means that we shift glory from us to God. So in remembering the gospel, we train our hearts in gratitude to God, which makes us want to give Him glory, and so we act towards outsiders in a way that brings about association rather than alienation. An appropriate response to God is is getting to know your non-Christian neighbors, forming real friendships with them, not just for the purpose of converting them, because we recognize that we are not above them. They are not some unclean thing that, that's going to sully us. Just look at how close Jesus got to sinners in his day. There is no guilt by association for us because we don't view ourselves as being above anyone else. And so if we can, we should live in peace with them. Not hungry for arguments and strife, always ready to, and willing to speak about Jesus in every situation and call people to Repentance but not trying to just stir up controversy where there is none. Verse 18 says, As far as it depends upon you, live at peace. So look, there may be times when you can't do that. When your witness is so offensive to people that you can't both live at peace and be a Christian. And the assumption here is that, that you, you keep being a Christian. You keep going. Their response is on them. And that's the flip to this, verse 19 to 20, where God talks about his vengeance and heaping burning coals upon someone's head. That's saying that that acting in this way, we show dependence upon the God of justice. That in response to the gospel, we can trust in his will and judgment and not need to take things into our own hands. So we live at peace where we can, humbly at all times, but knowing that if persecution does come our way, we can trust in God for justice. Maybe not now, but eventually that wrath will be poured out on them if they refuse to, Jesus, to look to Jesus or on Jesus if they do. Either way, our, our trust is in God for the outcome and that trust brings glory to Him. How we act towards outsiders reveals God's righteousness because we are not bringing attention onto ourselves either by being proud and viewing ourselves as superior or or taking control of ourselves and meeting out our own justice. Instead, our actions stem, stem from and compound our worship of God. Let our response in our neighborhoods be the conforming of our minds to God's ways, loving what He loves so that our hearts are led to worship and that we can use our bodies for His purpose. Hopefully we can see that Paul is showing us here that there are lots of different ways in different spheres to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And I know I haven't, but imagine for a second, if I've been really good up here, something might stick with you until you get to that line for coffee. Maybe, just maybe, something will remain until you get to the car. And like The reason why we hear these things and they, they, they don't stick, that they don't take root, is that either we have too small a view of the glory of the gospel. And so we don't feel moved to respond in these big ways. Or we have too big a view of the fear of man. Forming a deeper relationship where people might speak into your life, that's scary. And so it's easy to focus on that mountain and forget what the view might be at the top. But, but the thing is, is, that is what we do when we lift these passages out of their context. When we look at them as, as actions rather than remembering that they are responses to the gospel. That's the reason I've been stressing so much that these aren't lists of obligations, but, but opportunities to express your love and joy to God for what he has done. They are practical outworkings of or offerings yourself as living sacrifices. But the only way that that offering makes any sense if it is placed in the context of worship. So out of all the things that I've suggested that you could do this week, there's one thing that, that I just really want you to do. I want you to go and reread these verses at some point this week. I want you to get some space and, and read these verses and, and just look to God. Look at who He is. Look at what he's done in your life. Look at how he's been with you and brought you through so much. And just keep looking until you feel genuine gratitude. And now, we're not fooling ourselves. That might take a while. That might take days. But keep doing it until you feel gratitude rise up in your hearts. And when you feel that, then look around and see how you can respond. How can you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, as your true and proper worship. Please try it. Please let these verses affect you. In a second, we're going to try and start that process by turning our hearts to worship through song. And you can continue that in your conversations after the service and in what you let your mind consider on your way home and, and what you do this week but we have gathered here to to worship our God and let our souls be captivated by who He is, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to Him. And so let's do that now, and let's allow the Spirit to, to mold us as He brings us through Christ to our Father, so that our hearts might be filled with thankfulness.